For more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. Good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Manitoba. For all those joining us live this morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms, we say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show with Dave Manouk in the top right, with Ezra Ginsberg proudly modeling that Seagram's 88 shirt in the bottom middle. I'm your host, Drew Mandel, here for the next couple of hours. 83, Drew. Pardon me, David? 83. He said 88. Okay, yes, you're right. I, I mean, the brand is Seagram's 83. Yes, it is, it is. Hey, we're right. going to have to ask Seagram's for a Seagram's 82 because I'm a 1982 uh, birth year. So it's, well, we'll do that right after one. we take Drew to the optometrist to have his eyes checked. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's, you would think these things are thick enough as they, as they are, but apparently not. You know, I think what the problem was, yeah, okay, I see now that it's a three. It was my fault, I, I admittedly. I, apparently reading and, and comprehending and putting stringing those two things together is, is difficult for me on occasion. Nonetheless, we welcome everybody to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on this Saturday morning. Two hours of Jets talk. We're all about the Winnipeg team that continues to be absolutely on fire with one of the most impressive performances of the season last night continuing their winning streak making it five wins in a row now by going in to sunrise florida and really just doing a, a a great job the prototypical perfect road game against former jets head coach paul maurice and a uh you know the defending eastern conference champions last night guys you know, it, it was an impressive victory by the Winnipeg Jets. I could feel the excitement, the palp, the, it was palpable. The performance of that team certainly getting a boost by getting Rick Bonus behind the bench yesterday. And that was so fantastic to see. But you could really, it was just a very good day, I would say, from start to finish for the Winnipeg Jets and for the entirety of the Jets organization and seeing the uh, connectivity that exists between players and coaches and management and everything about yesterday was probably a bit of a feather in the cap uh, for the Winnipeg Jets. Absolutely. You know, we weren't really sure what news we were going to get, right, uh, about Rick Bonus. Like, there was some speculation that maybe, you know, Bones was going to step away from the team for an extended period of time, even the rest of the season, right? So, obviously, this was much better news. Uh, as you mentioned, Drew, Judy, Bonus doing better. Rick Bonus now back with the team full-time and, you know, we have to give Scott O'Neill a lot of credit. I mean, O'Neill is a name that is very well known in, in this province and obviously, you know, across the NHL, but uh, more so in Manitoba, having played for the Jets and being a moose coach. And he did an admirable, admirable job. And, and I mean, there's no reason, you know, to, to not expect that. I mean, O'Neill is a very smart hockey mind. He's been a longtime assistant. So did Eddie just cut out, Dave? Beat. Could you hear? I hope I didn't cut out. I hope not. Okay, there you go. You're back like now. Yesterday. Right. You're so good. I was just finishing, <laughs> uh, you know, giving Arneal his due props, mm -hmm. right? But yeah, obviously, you know, huge news for the Jets. And we know that they've been kind of carrying, you know, Rick Bonus and, and Judy's health as motivation in addition to, you know, the death of Adam Johnson with all of the players on the Jets from Minnesota, right? So there's no shortage of, you know, things that the Jets have used as motivation for the team, right? Uh, but, I, you know, yeah, it was, look, it was a, a very tight game. We broke it down on, on the post-game show. 
when we weren't having technical difficulties and, and dropping F-bombs. Dave just had the comment up there. For the people listening on the podcast, we had a little bit of uh, technical issues, and then we some went... Gremlins. Yeah, we had some gremlins, then we went dark for a little bit. We did cut it out of the podcast, the Saturday, uh, pardon me, the uh, Friday night post-game show podcast, because there was about five minutes of of dead air but well as uh, we all, we also cut it out of the out of the video so that's the benefit of watching it live you live you get you get us all you get us in our glory and sometimes not so much in our glory but now if you're watching it this morning you're going what are dave and as talking about there was no there was no snafu that show was fantastic because we edited the video and we there edited the audio so it looks like it was a clean show uh yesterday just like a clean three nothing jets win very tidy by the jets and very tidy by Ezzy and I, unless you actually watch it live. <laughs> well, the only what thing that you that doesn't make it clean is it jumps from Dave not hearing Dave's audio to then just Dave by himself uh, coming back and, and saying that he wish he didn't drop an f bomb because what happened was I kind of you know did the show alone for three or four minutes and I'll admit it I got a little flustered. I apologize, IC Nation. I give Drew a lot of credit. Hosting's not easy. Because you're you're the quarterback, you're running the ship, and I'm much better as a first mate. There <laughs> Although, hold on, Ezzy, uh, we do have something pointed out by Matthew Thompson. I saw two Ezzy's last night. There was at one point Ezzy did have a little gremlin pop up very briefly, where he was frozen. He was talking, then he was frozen, then he was gone, then he came back in the chat. But the frozen Ezzy was still in the chat. So if you noticed the screenshot yesterday, that one I left. That was, oh, uh, that, I swear, I leave for one day, I leave for one post game show, and all hell breaks loose. Apparently, yeah, there was chaos. How was the concert last night, Drew? It was very good, thank you. I quite enjoyed the concert. It was, uh, I, I, I liked it a lot. He played all the songs that I was, uh, I, I was hoping that, uh, uh hoping to hear. So, play uh, Chili Willie, play yeah. Chili Willie. <laughs> exactly. That's me, that's me, that's me sitting in the front row, Barney gumbling at, uh, demanding Chili Willie. Uh, nonetheless, it was a very good concert. Thank you for asking, Ezzy. You mentioned Scott Arneal, and, and I, I think we, you know, I don't want to gloss over that too quickly because Arneal now in two different stints as an interim head coach uh, which is sort of hard to believe because mm -hmm. that doesn't usually happen uh, in the span of two years but or Arneal I think has significantly I would say rehabilitated uh, what people were thinking about him when he was hired here in Winnipeg Good because point. when he was hired here there was a lot of skepticism uh, about you know why was it such a, why was he such an in demand coach when things did not go well for him in Columbus in his previous head coaching experience mm -hmm. he's been an assistant coach uh, you know throughout the league since then but there was the sort of a little bit of the pushback I would say that the, just because he used to play for the Jets doesn't mean he necessarily has to be hired by this uh, by this version of the Jets. I don't think that's a talking point anymore, given what he's done in a couple of really, I'm going to say, uncomfortable situations. Last year, mm -hmm. when early on in the season, when when Rick had COVID and had to step away uh, to to get rid of that and to get back to health. And then, of course, now in the most recent one where they stepped away to take care of, of Judy Bonus and and her health. And that was I mean, the humanity that was on display in the pre-game press conference and then in the video that the Jets tweeted out last night or put out on their socials last night about Adam Lowry uh giving him the puck I think post game was was really special those were nice moments and I mean I'm usually a cynic as most people who watch the show know uh that I tend to fall on the uh, uh, on the dark side of things but even the darkest heart Mendel you are a dark man Drew that's for sure thank you even Go the gothic I would say 
yeah, that's me exactly. I'm going to start painting my fingernails black and, and, and wear trench coats, but uh, maybe that's a little uh, a little too dark. But uh, nonetheless, the, there was I thought that was there was great humanity on display yesterday, and I think Scott O'Neill has done such a good job the last couple of years Absolutely. in these awkward situations that I don't think uh, people are maybe if he's the next head coach, and I'm not saying he's going to be, but if he is, I think a lot of maybe the concerns at least have been alleviated for now along those lines. I would agree with that. I think Dave would as well. Like, And that's just the thing. And, and I think what you're referring to is when Scott Arneal was hired as the associate coach, there were a lot of people, and, and that was obviously a very tentative time for Jets fans, right? Sure. Because obviously Jets fans were hoping Barry Trotz was going to be hired, but we know that Nashville hired him uh, as their GM, right? So... I think a lot of people thought it was, you know, just true north going back to the true north well, right? Because right. of Scott Arneal's history with the Manitoba Moose, uh, and then obviously having played here for the Jets 1.0, right? But the reality is the drop-off is basically non-existent, Dave, when mm -hmm. from Rick Bonus to Scott Arneal, right? And that's yeah. that's impressive. When you have the head coach go down, uh, you know, and be with his wife, and then you have Scott Arneal step up and the Jets don't miss a beat. So... I mean, you, you can you can still have some skepticism when it comes to, you know, could Scott O'Neill be the head coach full time? But I would have absolutely no problem with that. I mean, the reality is, you know, he's a tactician. He's a smart guy and the players respect him and like him. Well, and, and you know, to the point that Drew's made, if you did have that concern, which would be reasonable. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for concern. You don't know how a guy is going to jump into a, a role. This test of that, you know, theory has looked very good for Scott Arneal. And and let's be realistic, you know, Rick Bonus has stayed involved. He's, you know, he said on uh the media in his media availability that he was sending in clips that he was uh speaking with Scott Arneal every single day, which isn't a, a huge surprise and of course, you know, they've only been in Florida I think for like under 2 weeks. So he was still in Winnipeg obviously for for part of it and was was in contact with the coach. He said he met with the players I think about 2 weeks ago, so probably just before he came to Florida. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I, I'm with Ezzy. I think that you are, you know, I think he's acquitted himself. Well, I think there may have been a question mark Drew, because you're right. You know, who is Scott Arneal as a coach, but for now you see a guy who's seems to be ready for that role. And obviously Rick bonus isn't going anywhere. Rick bonus is going to be the head coach of the Winnipeg jets, but you know, the succession plan looked like this. And if this is the sneak preview, well, that's it's, 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 it's served the jets. Well, it's given them a, an opportunity to say, you know, we're not there yet, but whenever Rick Bonus decides to step away, if Scott O'Neill ends up being the next coach and waiting, he's 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 more than capable of handling that job. And so it's not it's not really something you ever really get as an organization. Right. So you don't get a test run with, with a you don't. Coach. You really don't. You don't get it, you don't get these types of opportunities. So I mean, yeah. over and above the fact that the Jets have been unbelievable in the last 15 games, like Rick Bonus missed 13, and the Jets have been 11, 2 and 2 in their last 15. So the Jets were, I mean, they were turning the tide. We we saw it from the start of that first game against Calgary, a game they could have won. Their five-on-five -five play this year has been better. Yeah. But I just think, like, it's just, a, it's just a reality that this Jets club has seemed to be bought in with either coach and are playing the system that they need to win. And now with Connor Hellebuck, as he, going back to being Connor Hellebuck that everybody knows and expected him to be, I mean, it makes the team a lot more formidable. Right, and I think, you know, boys, the the big difference for me in my outlook for this Jets team, uh, you know, I would say has changed over the last week because now the Jets are proving that they can beat upper echelon teams, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe not upper, upper echelon, but, 
you know, I was a little bit skeptical, you know, when the Jets were, you know, banking all these points, but they're beating teams like Arizona and St. Louis and Nashville, even though Nashville beat St. Louis 7-3 yesterday. And obviously the Jets face the Predators tomorrow. So the Predators are actually, you know, sticking around a little bit. I they've still won don't four think four in a row. Yeah, they've won four in a row. I, yeah. I still don't think the Predators will be a playoff team. But the reality is they've still got enough talent that they're competitive, right? But now mm-hmm. you've beat the New Jersey Devils. You've beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, you've beat the Florida Panthers, right? Like, so, so the Jets have beat good teams now. Yeah. And, I mean, even the Arizona Coyotes, I would say, are a, a good team. Like, they could make the playoffs this year. I don't know and if as they I will. said, as he last night, Drew, they were two points back. Yeah, exactly. So I think, like, you know, that's the biggest difference is the Jets are now beating teams that are in playoff spots. And they're be and they're, they've been incredible. Like six zero and two against the Eastern Conference is incredible. And you know what are they five and one against the Central? Six and one against the Central. So, I mean, well, again, you know, it's only nineteen games into the season, but I think at this point in the season, you have to just say the Jets are a good team. Like they're playing really well. And, and now that Connor Hellebuck is playing at his le- level, right. normal level, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have all these lines going, and then you're going to get Gabe Velarde back. Like th- the Jets are on a very good trajectory right now. And they're doing it in a sustainable manner. That that I mean, I think you know, you know, any team can get hot uh, on the back of a of, of exceptional goaltending for a week or two weeks. But mm-hmm. what the Jets are doing are it, it is repeatable, and they are you know doing it on you know more or not more or less on a night in night out basis. So there is a consistency to yeah. their game, and that is what is so important. And that consistency is only going to get better with the impending arrival or impending return of uh, Gabe Velarde. So, mm-hmm. I mean, which is very, could very well be tomorrow because Rick Bonus wasn't prepared to rule him out of tomorrow's game in Nashville when yeah. he was uh, under the microscope from uh, Kenny and then some of the other uh, folks who were interviewing him yesterday. So, you know, he, it could be tomorrow. If it's not tomorrow, then you would presume it would be uh, when the team returns home on Tuesday to face Dallas again. But yeah. it's, it, 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 it's coming and it's coming quickly. And then all of a sudden, not completely at full strength. But the Winnipeg Jets. Spence, doesn't are... want you to forget about Villa either, Drew. Well, you know he's he's that's a twenty. Not... That, that's a twenty twenty four reality, though. Yeah, yeah he's that's... gonna be on the moose. Exactly. I mean, yeah, he's a month boys, away. Twenty twenty four is not too far away. I mean, yeah, well, that's month, true. Month, you know, he's... Sure. But I mean, I'm talking about you know in the next you know either tomorrow or Tuesday as opposed right. to four We're or five imminent. weeks from now, yeah. where your forward group is going to get another boost, and all of a sudden, you know, you have, you know, remember it wasn't that long ago. It was at the start of the year. David Gustafson was your 13th forward, right? Yep. Right. Now I would say David Gustafson in his performance as of late, he looks like he's playing I'd say he's playing his best hockey at the NHL level in his career. Mm-hmm. And yep. he's playing as a confident player who at times is almost noticeable out there for being a bit of a force. Now, he's a force on the fourth line and I'm not talking about elevating David Gustafson to a different role, but you add in Gabe Velarde and for argument's sake and I'm sure we'll talk about it over the course of the next, you know, uh, 90 plus minutes, you add in Gabe Velarde back onto your first line and you mm-hmm. can move Alex Iafalo and I mean you you could even move Iafalo all the way down to that fourth line if sure. you wanted to and you know, if your fourth line is Ayafalo and uh, Gustafson and Morgan Barron, mm-hmm. well, you're, you're you're pretty comfortable rolling all four of those Winnipeg Jets lines out there. Uh, well, you know, and it could be it could be Vladislav Nemesnikov too, right? It Drew? could be anybody. I mean, I'm not saying, and that's why I mentioned on last night's post game show to to Dave, and you know, we had a good chat going. Uh, 
Thanks for everybody for tuning in yesterday, despite those technical blips that we were having. What blips, Ezzy? You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I guess we've erased that from the from the the, the archives, Dave. But I mean, the reality is like whether Gabe Velarde goes back to his right wing spot on the top line with Shifley and Connor, or if he centers Perfetti and Ehlers, or if Perfetti centers him and Ehlers, or you know, if Velarde goes on the third line, obviously we don't expect that. But I think Lowry, uh, Appleton, Niederreiter, I mean, you're not messing that up. That line has been so no. good, right? So to yeah. Drew's point, mm-hmm. whether it's bumping Alex Iafello down to the second line or fourth line, or it's dump, uh, you know, uh, Nemesnikov going down to the fourth line, Axel Janssen, Fialbi, I think we all agree, once Velarde comes back, will be the 13th forward. And to mm-hmm. the point of David Gustafson playing the best hockey of his career, yeah, and he's playing up the middle. Like, yeah. I, I know Dave, you know, has said many times before at the Moose level, you know, he, he's been able to play center and wing, more so wing at the NHL level, but I really like him up the middle. So yeah. I really don't think there's a big drop-off from Kupari to Gustafson, mainly because Kupari's a guy that kills penalties, but so does Gustafson. And you're not right. going to get a lot of offense from Kupari. And I, I think, you know, we expect him to score eventually when he comes back. Um, but Gustafson's got a couple goals this year, and I agree with Drew. He's playing really well. Look, this Winnipeg Jets team right now, I mean, the you know, they're they're I, we know that they're a possession positive team. It's interesting to note the only players, uh, the only who I'm gonna call regular players, so you know, the guys who've been in the lineup night in, night out, that sure. are less than 50% possession are Connor Shifley and Aya Fallow. Everyone else yeah. is over 50%. But you remember when Velarde was playing, I mean, Velarde, you know, in the two plus games that yeah. he played, small sample size, small sure. sample size. But you remember how you know consistent and how dominant Velarde, Shifley, and Connor were together. So if you put the, that trio back together, and again, they're gonna those guys are getting the tough matchups. They're playing against the other team's best lines, mm-hmm. and maybe you know with Connor, Shifley, and Ayafalo, they've been struggling possession wise against some of those other teams best lines they haven't been struggling putting the puck in the net or struggling on the scoreboard but let's just talk possession right now and in, in that context all of a sudden maybe that problem gets alleviated and right. you are running four strong possession lines right. that are you know controlling the play against your opponents something to your point towards... drew the the line that you're talking well the, the, i mean they weren't up against but a lot last night it was the Sam Bennett, Matthew Kachuk, Carter Verhage line. Right. And it wasn't a huge advantage in no, expected goals or anything like that. But that line outplayed the Shifley line. And I think you're right. I mean, that line has cooled off. And I mean, they yeah. were uh, red hot. And that line has cooled off a little bit. But Ehlers, Perfetti, Nemesnikov has picked up the slack. Right. And That's that right. line has been really solid. And then obviously, Lowry, Appleton, and El Nino has been really good, right? So it seems like whenever one of the top two lines is struggling... You know, the other one picks it up, and then the third line has just been the definition of, of consistency, right? So I think, yeah, Velarde is going to help the Jets whatever line he goes back on. I mean, yeah. to me, the only, again, it's like, how big a splash do you want to make in the pool? As he loves to cannonball, we know that, but <laughs> NHL coaches... And belly flop, don't forget the and belly, belly flop. flop, for sure. Yeah. But, but uh, the record, I did a belly, I did a back flop uh, this, in this summer. Hurt like hell. I'm not ever going to do that like, ever just again. like a flat back bump? Yeah, like, I was like, oh, whatever. And then I'm not going to tell you, I was in pain. It wasn't great. But uh, why, why? Hang on. Uh, I was. I was gloss over that. Why? Why wouldn't you think it would hurt? Well, I knew it was going to hurt. I tried to arch my back a little bit, but um, I, I'm saying I was trying to do something else, and it ended up as bad. It wasn't intentional, Drew. I'm just Were saying. there intoxicants involved? I need to know no, more. No, no, no. Maybe, maybe I may have been. Uh, Dave's like one of the, Dave's like one of the Mandelbaum children. <laughs> you think <laughs> you're better than me? <laughs> Anywho, so so the point is that NHL coaches generally don't like to make a big splash, unlike our previous conversation. So the question becomes: Do you just make 
you know, maybe you start Velarde on that fourth if you don't want to work him in hard, or if you think he's ready to go, you put him. I, I mean, to me, the Ayafalo uh, experiment on the th- first worked great, but I think you you put Velarde back where Ayafalo was. You move Ayafalo down to the fourth, and then you have a really good fourth line. And to be honest, you don't run him like a fourth line. You give him more minutes, give him more opportunity. And I think with Ayafalo, they probably produce a little bit more because I just I think that my concern is with the way the second line is running right now. If you break up all three, and none of these need to stick together, but it seems to be working right now, right? So do you really want to upset the apple cart too much? Probably not. So, you know, by by if you move Velarde to the first, Ayafalo to the second, Nemestikov to the fourth, the only line you're keeping intact, obviously, is the third, right. and you are making a lot of changes. To me, and a pretty easy one is Ayafalo down to the fourth in spot of Axel Johansson Fielby, gave mm-hmm. Velarde up to that top line, the top line probably gets hot again with Velarde up there. The second line remains what they're doing, which is, uh, you know, fantastic work. The third line, fantastic. And then you've got a fourth line that I think, again, actually on some has been sufficient, but I think Ayafalo makes that line even better, obviously. And I think then you've got a driver who could potentially get that line scoring. And now you're really dangerous because you've got four scoring lines. So to me, that's the move that makes the most sense. I agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said. It's to me that that's the, that's the, both the, the simplest and most rational move. Anything yeah. anything more than that is probably moving too many pieces and maybe moving pieces just for the sake of moving pieces. You know, and the reality you know, is Rick Bonus and Scott Arneal for sure have already decided they, they have a preference where they're going to put Velarde. I don't think anything's going to change in the next uh, game. I mean, I guess he could play. Velarde could play against Nashville. But I think I, I'm going to probably guess that he comes back against Dallas. That's just my guess. I think he plays tomorrow. That's my personal opinion. Because okay. I think he plays. I think tomorrow. it's a coin flip right now. By the way, Drew. Well, I mean, he'll yeah, play. I don't I think that there's anything leaning towards like yes or no. I think it's 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 very much up in the air. Yeah, if, if anything be... leaning towards him coming back, but we'll see. I think you know they play. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays tomorrow. We get another sort I of boost, either. another you know uh, boost of adrenaline to your lineup. You know you can't. You know the the presence of Rick Bonus behind the bench gave a boost yesterday. You know yeah. you finished the road trip strong with another boost of getting back your top line right winger. Uh, you know the guy who's been you know marked for that position. You know and and all of it, like you said, look. Alex Iafalo is a double-digit goal scorer in the NHL. He's already got four this year. There's no question he's going to get somewhere between 15 and 20, probably, in, the, in that realm. Look, the Jets' fourth line as a whole in the last number of years total together couldn't get that many goals. Yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden, you're adding that. You're adding you know, Morgan Barron. Well, the fourth who... line doesn't have a ton of goals this year, but they have been playing well. There's a difference. You can, you can play well and not necessarily get a ton of goals, or you can play not very well and not get a lot of goals, which I agree. That was kind of the the Saku Mana line and Kevin Stenland, right. you know, Carson Kuhlman, those types of players. Although, as the, the, I think Kevin Stenland has like five or six goals this year. <laughs> well, he's a good player. I mean, he was an excellent penalty killer. Uh, you know, he's a perfectly capable fourth line forward. You're yeah. just not going to get a lot of. Yeah, uh, look, as he again, he cut out on me there for a second. I'm not sure if he did to you too, Dave, or not. But There's whatever one, it might half be, a, half a second. Yeah, half a second, little, uh, a little, a little glitch there. You know, the apologize. The, it's okay. We'll forgive you this time and this time only, except for the next time when we'll forgive you then as well. Yeah, these are all look. Th- this Winnipeg Jets team is feeling good about themselves for good reason. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they are right there with the Colorado Avalanche. They are right there. In fact, ahead of the Dallas Stars based yeah. on regulation victories versus, uh, you know, uh, so far this year. So, I mean, if you had said, and it, it certainly looks like it's a three horse race in that central division. Now, granted, we're just, you know, game 20. So the quarter mark of the season is, is tomorrow against Nashville. Uh, so there's lots of seasons still to be played. But, you know, if you if you have to tier the teams, you know, throughout the NHL right now, the Winnipeg Jets, even without Gabe Velarde for all but three of those games this year, mm-hmm. you know, are, are certainly towards the, you know, would you say they're in the top 10 of the teams in the league? I mean, right yep. now they're yeah. seventh. I mean, so, yeah, you would yep. say that they're top 10 among the teams sure. in the league well, right now. Well, so and this it's is... obviously subjective, as you know, Drew, but like right. if you're a top 10 team, like how far away are you from a top five team? And, and I guess then the question becomes like, how many really, like, if you're going to have, like, a top tier, second tier, whatever, like, let's say the Jets are in the second tier right. behind, you know, Boston, Vegas, Dallas, maybe you throw Carolina in there. I mm-hmm. mean, Vancouver's up there now. Washington's gone on a winning streak. Like, I guess my point is, I don't think that, you know, the parity is any different than previous years. And also, you know, we say this every single year. And, you know, going back to what was that, 2019 or 2018 when Tampa Bay had the amazing regular season record and then got swept by Columbus in the first mm-hmm. round. Mm-hmm. It happened again last year with Boston, you know, setting a record with, what did they have, 125 points? And then they lost in the first round to Florida. So the, so the, the thing is, like, I guess, not even if the Jets aren't in that upper, upper tier with, like, I think we would say, we would all agree, Boston, Vegas, uh, Dallas. I've been really impressed by Dallas. I mean, if, mm-hmm. we, if we're talking about how good the Jets are, Dallas has already beat the Jets twice this year. And I don't think that the Jets are, you know, that far away from Dallas. I think they're probably, you know, a good top four defenseman. But that, to me, is the biggest difference between the Jets and Dallas. Dallas has the forward depth to compete with the Jets. Yeah. And their group of top six defensemen is better than the Jets' top six defensemen. So I think the Stars have to, for me at least, are a top three team in the NHL right now. But the drop off is not that far, and mm-hmm. and like you said, I mean, mm-hmm. you have you've been without Velarde, you're without Kupari now, you've been out with Hainola. So I mean, other teams have injuries as well, and other teams are dealing with things like Colorado, for example. Samuel Gerard yeah. is, is entering the, the NHL substance abuse program or player assistance program, yeah. I should say, right? Like so, all the all teams are dealing with you know various things, right? But yeah, Drew, I think absolutely. I I, I don't know how you can't say the Jets are a top 10 team right now. I think some people are asking the question, are they a top five team? Um, but I mean, the, the, the record speaks for itself. 11-2-2 two two in their last 15 games. It's incredible. And if you look at the starts, this is one of their best starts that they've had in the first 19 games. I mean, again, we were making fun of how people cherry pick stats to to suit the narrative. <laughs> but just looking at the 19 games, you know, just quickly, because, yeah, you know, um, I think Scotty Billick of the Winnipeg Sun wrote, mm-hmm. is this the best version of the Winnipeg Jets that... Uh, that we've seen since they've returned to, to Winnipeg and they're still uh, up one point back of that 17, 18 team, but it's pretty close. You know, they're 12, five and two right now. That team was 12, four and three. And, and this is the same uh, start as they had in 18, 19, the year after that. So it's, it's uh, matched their one of their best ever. And, and the fact of the matter is that it's, as I think, I don't remember which one of you guys said it, but it's the truth. The reality is this team is playing sustainable hockey. They're not playing, you know, this is not, not like cheating the game. They're not cheating the game. They're playing pretty good five on five. And, and again, they've got Connor Hellebuck back to Connor Hellebuck like levels. And we don't know. I saw one of the questions earlier was whether Laurent Brassois would start tomorrow or not. I mean, of course, there's 
you know, a lot of space between these games. They've had a lot of days off, so they've had a lot of rest. Um, yeah, Rick so intimated the, strongly that it will be Brassois tomorrow. Uh, he, gave a, he gave a pretty characteristic, we'll see. So I don't know if I'd go so far. He also said the same thing about Velarde. He said, we'll see. So oh. which we, with Rick Bonus, a we'll see is definitely, I'm not giving you any sort of insight. But to me, of course, if, you, if you're going to give him Didn't he say we'll game, see, but then he said something like he's a strong option? I so, think I that, mean, yeah. Seems Anyways. seems about right. Well, Anyways, oh, honestly, is, guys, if, if I mean, Lauren Bressois was brought in to provide, to, to start more games than David Riddick, right? And take some of that load off of Connor Hellebuck. Yeah. So this is the type of game I think that is the exact type of game that you put Lauren Bressois in. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, right. let's talk about more about that as we uh, come back from commercial break. Garrett Hole is set to join us for more Jets talk. It's a Saturday morning. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show is going strong. Don't go anywhere. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsburg with you. Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years. Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, John Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party, even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Whoa, Ezzy, everything okay? You look stressed. Of course I'm stressed. We're moving, the house is upside down, the kids failed miserably at packing the fine china, and my life is in chaos. Chaos. Yes, that does sound like a problem. What am I going to do? Ezzy, relax. Rolly's transfer moving and storage is the answer. With 60 years of experience in moving Manitobans and a track record of exemplary customer service, one call to Rollies and your stress is gone. No job is too big or too small. Just visit Rollies.com and they will take it from there. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage, online at Rollies.com. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg with you on this Saturday morning talking about the Winnipeg Jets. Reminder, the Jets in action in Nashville tomorrow night. I believe it's a 7 o'clock puck drop, if I'm not mistaken, which means post game will be a 9.45 back here, as we always do on our trusty YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms. We're thrilled to welcome to the program from the Five Hole Substack. Does a great job covering the Winnipeg Jets. Garrett Hole joins the program this morning. Garrett, good morning. Nice to see you. How are things? Morning. Nice to see you guys as well. Thanks for having me on. Are, are, are you in a closet? Garrett? I was going to I was going to guess is that a pantry? It, it, it it's a closet/office. Um so I'm semi-retired uh and I I think I think as I told you this already that like um when I was in university I um used to work in restaurants and so i'm helping a friend who uh purchased a share of a restaurant and so he makes you live in the pantry of the restaurant is that is that how you're helping uh, him um, <laughs> well uh I, i'm i'm covering the leftover today. food yeah i i mean that's probably about 50 percent of what i get paid in <laughs> okay well leftover leftovers are very important to me Garrett, as well so i know I... I know that like i might be wrong here correct me if i am wrong but i think what you're doing is hiding from your kids because you've got two young kids right and that's why i come here to dave's house to do to do the show because i've got a four-year-old and a five-year-old and unless i lock myself in my downstairs basement uh office uh they're just gonna like bang in so i, I think i know what garrett is up to garrett wanted <laughs> to make sure that his kids weren't going to interrupt this interview 
The only difference is Ezzy's kids are like the shining where they'll chop through the door with an axe to get after them. <laughs> I hope yours aren't like that, Garrett. Uh, nonetheless, nice to see you this morning. We appreciate you joining us from uh, Pantry Closet or wherever you may be. Uh, look, well, you're here to I talk mean, about... Drew, the... you're in an electrical room in your basement, so it's not exactly like you know, you're know you in, in <laughs> the Trump the Tower there. right now. It's true. I, I am also in a windowless basement, so I don't have much of a leg to stand on. Uh, Garrett, the Winnipeg Jets, uh, You know, after last night's game, you know the the, the continued hot streak of this team uh, is, is, you know, five wins in a row, eight and two in their last 10. We know the numbers. We know the success that they've had. You know, tell me, tell our audience from your perspective, and you certainly look at things through the analytical bent uh, very and do a good job explaining it to the lay people in, in the audience, why this start for the Winnipeg Jets this year is more sustainable than the one that we saw last year where they had a similar good start to the season. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for that intro. That's uh, very kind of you. Uh, kinder than I think I deserve. So nice. <laughs> uh, but uh, to kind of like go over how things are, there's kind of two different ways you can look at it. You can look from a blind perspective where um, – the long story short is the reason why people care, even care about these analytics and stuff like that is just because we try to look at underlying factors that happen and um, that suggest whether or not a team is going to continue winning when they're winning versus whether or not they might start to drift. And um, there's two major things that I'd look at is one that um, on average, the Jets are performing well on five on five, depending regardless of which kind of metric you're looking at, whether that's goal differential or expected goals or Corsi, whatever, um, you can pick your poison. They all point to a similar picture that the Jets are a pretty good team. And so therefore we suggest that, um, that uh, the team is likely to continue doing well. Um, and that um, the, un the underlying processes, the, they're not winning just because you know they're getting bounces going their way. They're they're winning because they're trying to do the right things and they're successfully doing the right things. Um, so that's that's one way to look at it. Um, but I kind of mentioned also uh, in the comments because I was I was watching the, the the show on YouTube and uh, when you guys were mentioning the 27-18 team, uh, the 27-18 team had a hotter start. But what's funny is that analytically they actually didn't look very good in the beginning i even i wrote my one and only article that i ever did for the athletic basically kind of pointing out like you know what what is coursey and what isn't coursey what is it good for what is it not good for um and it's kind of funny that the best because like over the whole season the 27 18 team was the best team analytically speaking um not just in the record um for the entire season but they actually were weren't very good for the first 15 17 games and then they kind of flipped the switch and um so it's, it's it's kind of funny to kind of compare that because you know things things can change because the reason why coursey expected goals and those kind of things matter is because they more align with how a team is playing um in terms of their actual process but teams aren't robots they're not going to always stay the same um, like, for example, with the Jets, things might even get better because, you know, Velarde is or at least should be a fairly large impact player that should improve things quite a bit. Okay, so Garrett, that leads perfectly into my next question because you wrote about this in the five-hole feature at Friday. You, you wrote about a lot of things, so 
we're I don't know if we're going to have time to to cover everything. Uh, but you know, the Vlardy is obviously going to come back soon. It could be tomorrow versus Nashville. It could be back at home in Winnipeg against Dallas. But what I thought was really interesting that you wrote was that the top line you write is actually not performing as well as you would like for uh, a top, let's call the Jets a top 10 team. I think you would agree that's kind of where they are, or let's say a top four, top five team in the Western Conference. They're comfortably in a playoff spot, right? 11, two and two in their last 15. Um, and so obviously, Velarde, as you mentioned, he's going to have a big impact. But I had a two-part question in, in regards to, to what you wrote about. So I, I'm assuming that you like Gabe Velarde returning to that top line with Shifley and Connor. Or if not, you can let us know where you like Velarde when, when he returns. But are, are Shifley and Connor not having um, as much of a, I guess, you know, rebound in terms of their defensive impact as some people think? More so... Uh, Kyle Connor, like, I guess, why is it that that Shifley Connor Iafalo line is not tearing it up as much as people would like at five on five? Sorry, there's I mean, a lot. There's, there's a couple. Of, yeah, there's a couple of questions there, so I'll try to get to all of them. Um, and I'll, I tend to talk a lot, so I'll try not to go too long. Um, that so means less talking for us. Off, fine with that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I agree that the Jets are a top ten team, um, but obviously the goal is to be top one team, right? You want to be the very best. So, you know, being second is not good enough. And even if you're the first, the best team, you want to be, you want to increase that distance. So the reason why I kind of looked at all this kind of stuff is because, yeah, Velarde's going to return. Velarde's a very good player. Um, and a lot of people kind of, when I looked on Reddit and also on Twitter and such like that, a lot of people were kind of suggesting like, oh, you know, the top line's uh perform really well they're the hot hand we don't want to kind of break things and so i kind of looked into the to the actual numbers and then um to try to truncate everything really quickly um there's a bunch of small things which none of them on their own is very damning but once you combine everything it suggests to me that you know that top line isn't sacred that we should keep everything as is um like i would suggest that like you know the top line's not performing terrible um they're like We've we've had instances where the top line has been an anchor and a drag, um, where they've scored lots of points, but they've given up more than uh, they've allowed, or sorry, they've given up more than they've actually created. Um, they are kind of okay-ish, depending on your perception of okay. Uh, so, you know, in terms of shot differentials and Corsi expected goals, they're kind of in the 35th to 40th percentile. Of, how top lines historically try to or historically perform, um, and but in goal differential they've been better than that. And so some people would be like, say, well, it doesn't matter as long as they're outscoring that. That's all that matters. But I think they're only like plus one as a line, um, which works out to about 0.31 goals per an hour of ice time. That's the average performance for any top line because even below average teams usually still outscore on the top line. Not always, but usually. So, you know, the, no matter which metric you're looking at, you know, best case scenario, they're an average top line. Worst case scenario, they're a below average top line. So right there, that gives me enough evidence that you kind of don't want to keep it that way. Um, and then the next kind of things that I would look at is that um, the Jets' second and third line, the second line being the Lowry line, despite everyone saying that it's the Nemestikov line. Uh, the Lowry line is the line that's been the second most used in ice time over the Nemestikov line for every game except for four. 
Um, and one of those four was when Velarde was still healthy and playing. So since Velarde has been injured, it's only happened three times. Uh, the Lowry line for a second line is somewhere, depending on which metrics you're looking at, in the top 90 percentile to 95 percentile. And the Mestikoff line is somewhere for third lines in the 85 to 95 percentile, depending on which. So, you know, like I'm not going to try to convince can people. I, can I interrupt you for a second, oh, Gareth? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I just want to, you know, so you talk about, you know, where the second, the first and the second and the third line are in terms of the percentiles of, of all the, you know, top two lines, top three lines, you know, throughout the league. You know, the best teams, the the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, the the you know the, the Tampa Bay Lightning when they were, you know, a, an elite team, if you, you know, uh, when they were winning their Stanley Cups, where would their sort of top line, where would their, would their lines all be within that 90th percentile or would they have a line that would be lower down in the in the 50th percentile or 60th percentile? You know, in terms of when you think about the the real Stanley Cup contenders, do they have four lines that are all in the, you know, in the top of their percentiles uh, compared to the other teams in the league? Um, yes and no. Uh, so there's more than one way to, I was about to say skin a cat, it's kind of mean. Uh, there's more than one uh, trial or trail up uh, a mountain. Uh, so it's not necessarily that um, all competitive teams, all real true contenders have been the same. Uh, but generally speaking, you the top line is the most important line. And like even like you don't even have to look at it as an analytical perspective. You can also look at just like what do coaches tend to do? Well, they tend to load their talent on the top line and they tend to give their top line the most ice time. And, that, and I mean, some of that is like, part of the reason why the top line is so important is because they get the most ice time. Uh, but like it, it's whether you look at analytics or whether you look at just like how coaches tend to play things out, um, you know, your top line is your mo the most important line because they have like, you know, you know, a, a plus one goal or sorry, a plus one goal per hour of the top line is more important and better in the long run than um, a plus one goal for a line that's getting, you know, five, 10% less less ice time because over the long run that works out to more goals. Um, so generally speaking, um, yeah, co um, contenders do tend to have that from top to bottom. They're all performing um, high end. Uh, there are some exceptions to those rules, but for the most part, it is um, hockey is a weird game where it's both a strong link and a wink link sport. Um, like you look at some sports like basketball where it's very much a strong link or uh, soccer where it's very much a weak link uh, hockey kind of has both influences and so you know having that elite talent is very very important but also having you know that depth is also very important um, one of the reasons why the Jets are so much better this year than last year is because their depth is way better so like depth matters but um, one of the reasons why they're not that elite team is because they don't have the top end uh, not that they don't have top end talents but the people that are getting the most ice time um, aren't you know performing the same as like the Eichels and the Matthews Garrett Hole is our guest this Saturday morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Garrett writes about the Winnipeg Jets for the five-hole substack. You can see that it's his own substack given the hole and hole in the, in each of the two names. Well done, Drew. Thank you. Garrett, got to ask you about Neil Pionk. He's uh, a player that everybody was focused on this summer. Everybody was needing him to have a bounce-back season because, of course, the right side for the Jets is a bit of a weak, weaker link since we're talking about linkages, but it's a bit of a weaker link than... Uh, than the left side. So from your perspective, what have you seen from Neil Pionk through 19 games? Yeah, um, I have seen improvements, um, both from what I've 
viewed from my own eye test. Also, um, one of the things I do for the pipe hole is I actually track zone entries, zone exits, denial of zone entries, um, puck recoveries from dump ins and scoring chances, you know, just to kind of, it, one, it helps me analyze the game better just because I'm paying attention to particular things other than just getting angry or happy when goals are scored. Uh, but also it creates extra value um, for the people that not everyone pays for um, my content. I try to make as much of it as free as possible, uh, but, you know, to help, you know, say thank you to those who do contribute, I want to give them some value. Um, so, you know, all those things say that Pionk is being a better player. Um, he's a little bit safer, although he's still the riskiest player on the Jets uh, blue line in the defensive zone. Um, and, and if you're looking at more advanced models, whether that's, you know, the goals above replacement, expected goals above replacement over at Evolving Wild, or if you're using the SG model over at Hockey Biz, um, they both project that um, Pionk is a better player. Where they all argue is on how much better. Um, if you're trying to use, I'm going to try not to go too much into it, but if you're using more of the Evolving Wild model, um, it suggests that uh, Pionk is pretty much um, as good as he was, you know, at his best. Um, so everything's fixed. He's rebounded, no problem. Um, but then when you look at SG, the SG model, um, it suggests that, you know, he's better, but he's still, you know, a weak link on the team. Um, and so then I kind of look at, you know, what do, why would those models have a different opinion? Uh, how are they built and why that might be? And to not, because no one cares about the math. Long story short is the expect, uh, the evolving wild model, um, uses essentially algebra, um, looking at how the team performs, uh, with that player on the ice versus off the ice. And then also looks at every other variation that's existing in NHL and tries to, you know, algebra it out, um, to that one guy. Um, but the problem with that is Pionk has basically been stapled with Dylan and the very few moments that he hasn't been stapled with Dylan, he's been with Sandberg. Um, and those are two defensive, defensive, um, specialists who analytically speaking are historically are very similar in their impact where they're both very, very good at preventing and not very good at creating. Uh, although, you know, recent Dylan apparently is a two-way guy cause he's scoring goals and, <laughs> and all that. But, uh, um, you know, when you look at that mass, one of the problems is that um, there's a chance that some of the attributes which should be going to Dylan and uh, Sandberg have actually been taken and gone to Pionk because of the fact that their ice time is so, so tightly knit. There's very few moments where Pionk has been separated uh, from, those, from those two, uh, especially Dylan specifically. If it was both of them, it might be a little bit less of a problem. And now on the SG model side, um, that starts everyone off. It works similarly, but it starts everyone off based off of where they are last year. So it's like, hey, this is what we thought of them last year. That's where we're going to start. Based off of how they perform this year, we're going to move them one way or the other. Um, so that's the kind of what's working behind those metrics. And one of the things that I noticed is most of the performance improvements with Pionk is defensively. And it's going from a very, 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 very bad, one of the worst in the NHL defensive players to not elite, but close to elite defensively. And that makes me kind of think that, yeah, there's probably some of those false attributions 
in the evolving wild expected gold or expected war models and war models. And I think that in the long run, we'll start to, as you know, line changes happen and such, we'll start to see that level out a little bit. Um, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle between those two models. Um, so the long, that's a very long way to say, you know, Pionk is better, uh, but he's probably still the weak link in that top four, maybe even the top five. And for some people, you could argue in the top six. Garrett, I saw something online uh, about the impact, the defensive impact that Nate Schmidt and Dylan Sandberg are having together. You know, when you're looking at your numbers and when you're watching the game, like in in the sense that both those guys, when as a unit, and they've played about a hundred and uh, just over 150 minutes together, that both those guys, when when the they're on the ice together, the Jets' expected goals against has been very low. That they've been very good at neutralizing uh, the other team's offensive chances. You know, are your I guess I now that's you know courtesy I got that from Money Puck. Uh, you know, so I guess a two part question: Are you sort of seeing the same thing when you're uh, both you know eye testing and looking at your numbers? And if so, you know how surprised are you about the the defensive impact from those two? Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not completely surprised because one, I mean, those guys are the third pairing, and so they are going against slightly. Uh, less competition and difficult minutes than the other two pairings. So um, sometimes the people... fact that they're playing sheltered minutes would be would would, would be a big part of that. Is, is if I can. Sort of... I, I don't know if I would say big. I think people kind of overvalue sheltering, but it matters. Because yeah. um, uh, like you know, when you're playing as many minutes as they are, you're you're going to still be playing against the top line sometimes. Right. You know, the the other coaches are going to be trying to get uh, their line matches as well. And, uh, you know, like I, I had uh, uh, someone who works for an NHL team once say to me that, you know, sometimes when uh, when when teams get too concentrating on line matching, what it ends up doing is that allows the other coach to dictate the game and dictate what's ha- what's going on. So there's only so much sheltering that you can do. And it's not like these guys, um, Schmidt and uh, Sandberg, have been intensely sheltered anyways. Uh, but it's, it's definitely a factor. Uh, but the other thing is, like, I mean, I personally viewed Sandberg as a very, very good defensive defenseman, even in this rookie season. Um, I know he has some gaffes that, you know, every once in a while that uh, has some, caused some people to not uh, think as highly of him as I do. Uh, but personally and analytically speaking, um, he's very, very safe, but he's also, um, like, he's a safe defensive defenseman in terms of being able to strip the puck and uh, he's strong against the wall and uh, in front of the net kind of like Dylan is, but I view him as being more mobile and a better puck mover uh, than for, for example, just to compare for familiarity sakes, uh, Dylan, um, uh, Brendan Dylan, that is because all three of the Jets <laughs> defensive defensemen are Dylan's in some sort, Dylan DeMello, Dylan Sandberg and Brendan Dylan. Uh, I sometimes call them the three Dylan's. Um, but yeah, um, they are quite good. And one of the things is that Schmidt's uh, defensive, Schmidt's overall defensive play has slightly improved, or another way you can argue it has slightly become less bad um, as he's kind of started to lose his uh, fastball. Um, so, I mean, that's something that we sometimes see before. Uh, you know, I'm going to get myself in some hot water because some people don't agree with me, but the Jets' best defensive defensive men was 
Toby and Toby Enstrom. And people are like, oh, he's so small and he always gets out muscled or whatever. But impact wise, he was one of the best defensive guys in terms of reducing chances against. And that's because, you know, as he got older, he wasn't able to do the offense stuff that he was doing in his early years. And so he kind of concentrated um, specifically in one role so that he could allow people like Myers and Buff try to be the wheeling and dealing type guys. Um, so I think Schmidt's kind of evolving his game a little bit in that means. Um, I don't think Schmidt's a plus defensive uh, defender, uh, but he's less of a risk in it, uh, than he used to be. Garrett, thanks, by the way, for a flashback to like 2014, 2015, because I remember back in the TSN 1290 days, I made the bold proclamation that I think Ben Sherratt is better than Toby Enstrom. Uh, at that point in their careers, and I got absolutely lit up <laughs> by by Jets Nation. I was not a popular guy for saying that. Um, so I think a lot of Toby Enstrom fans, I love Toby Enstrom, but I think a lot of Toby Enstrom fans are happy that, that you brought him up because he was a popular defenseman uh, back when he was a Jet, obviously, uh, from, what was that, 2011 to 2015. But I wanted to ask you about specifically the nemesnikov perfetti Ehlers line because you mentioned it earlier that that line is in in terms of ice time is actually the Jets' third line. But you mentioned uh, in your recent post for the five hole that that Nemesnikov line is a top ten percentile, fifty six percent Corsi, fifty one percent expected goal share. Uh, reading here while outscoring opponent opponents by two point one goals per hour. So I guess the question I wanted to ask you specifically was about Ehlers because Ehlers scored that beautiful goal yesterday, uh, obviously uh, against Florida. So obviously. You know, Ehlers and, and Perfetti and Nemestikov are clicking. Does that make the kind of Velarde conundrum, as I was calling it, does that make it more difficult for you, or or do you are do you have no problem bumping Nemestikov down to the fourth line? Because I, I know a lot of people want to see Perfetti maybe go back up the middle, or maybe see Velarde up the middle. But it seems like isn't that a line that's playing so well that it's got to be hard for Bonus and Arneal to make that call? Because it just seems like the numbers, you know, back it up that that line is playing really well lately. Yeah. I mean, I, that is something that I'm also wrestling with because I'm not quite certain. I'm sorry to not give you a straight answer. I'm not really certain myself. No fence sitting um, here. We know. want a solid answer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Done. Uh, so to start off those, per- just to let you know, uh, those percentiles that both I was speaking about and you kind of uh, earlier when I was talking about the top line, and also you kind of mentioned here, those percentiles are specifically relative to being a top line. So like the the 30, 35th to 45th percentile of the top line, Jets top line is compared to historic top lines. The performance of the Lowry line, I was comparing to historically second lines and same with the Nemesikov line. Um, so I was comparing them um, to other third lines, historically speaking. Um, so yeah, I mean, regardless of whether you're looking specifically versus other third lines or just in general, um, the, the Jets third line with Nemestikov has been um, very good. Um, and which kind of makes you think about whether or not um, you want to break that up because, you know, there's a chance that someone else or some other variation might be worse. Um, yeah. There's definitely that kind of risk uh, it, at the start of the season. Personally, I would say I would have put Nemestikov outside of the Jets' top nine, uh, just not because I think that he's not a top nine forward, but just because I thought the other nine were slightly better. Uh, but now I'm not so sure. Um, and then on top of on top of it, um, you know, like no, it's a difficult 
it's a difficult question to answer because no matter what, if you're looking at analytics, you're saying that the Jets basically have to take a second line quality forward and put them on the fourth line. That's 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 a hard thing to do, no matter what, no matter whether you choose it's Iafalo or whether it's Nemestikov. That, that's that's a which second line forward do you put on your fourth line is is a tough question to answer. Um, but I w- will point out for the people that do like Perfetti at center, um, I will also point out that um, ne- when Niederreiter was on the line and they were had uh, Perfetti at center, in all the metrics except for goal differential, the line was performing at the same level. So it's not like they got a boost when Nemestikov was swapped for Niederreiter and Perfetti was moved out of center. It was more that they were... Um, they, they stayed the same. Eric Hole, our guest, Saturday morning, entering hour number two of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, talking about the Jets. Garrett, of course, authors the five-hole sub-stack. Unmute yourself, uh, Dave. I know, I just did. Garrett, don't disappoint the crowd. I know in your Monday review, you said, will Kyle Connor, or how many goals will Kyle Connor score? So the question is, how many goals will Kyle Connor score? I mean, a lot of the articles were saying, can Kyle Connor get to 50? He was on pace for almost 70. So where do you see this playing out with a guy who's obviously shooting a little bit higher than his standard shooting percentage? Yeah. Um, I mean, 76, baby. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, I, I would suggest the most like, as long as he's healthy, the most likely answer is he will probably be in the 50s. Um, that's just look, regardless of whether you look at, you know, just how does Kyle Connors tend to score goals per game, um, historically, and just try to average that out for the rest of the season. Or if you look at, you know, I suggest that actually probably undervalues what he might be doing if he stays healthy, because one of the things that Kyle Connors is doing, um, is he's shooting more, uh, relative to his ice time. And another big factor is that he's getting more ice time per game that he historically gets. Um, and so both of those things even if he performs like average suggests that he should and his shooting percentage dips a bit, um, he should still be scoring, you know, a lot of goals. Uh, so I think 50 is completely within the realm of possibilities. Um, uh, I said that even uh, high fifties is even possible, whether it's most probable is another answer. Um, but yeah, it's definitely realistic that uh, we have a 50 goal scorer uh, going on just because he's, you know, he's already had his good luck. I mean, who knows? Maybe the good luck will continue. Um, but we don't expect bad luck to counter good luck. Um, that's not how things work. And, you know, even even though uh, Kyle Connor is outperforming your his expected shooting percentage based off of shot quality, he is a high-level finisher where we always expect him to at least somewhat um, finish above expectations. Garrett, last one for you. I mean, every team that is a bona fide playoff contender is always looking to add pieces. We know that the trade deadline is many months away. So I'm not going to ask you to name a specific piece, but let's assume that the Jets team come come trade deadline-esque time is playing at a similar fashion. And let's assume for conversation's sake that they're also relatively healthy, where you know the big the big guns are still around and everything else. What is priority one in an up from the upgrade perspective is it on the back end is it another 
Is it a is it a stud defenseman? You know, way easier said than done in terms of acquiring one of those. From your perspective, what is the piece that the Winnipeg Jets need that even boosts them higher in the uh, tiers? Let's say, Garrett, of, who is this year's teams? David Savard? <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, um, yeah, that, that's that's one's a, a tough one because. Um, I basically see two possible options. Um, so like looking at analytical models, the Jets forward group is basically, they all suggest that the Jets have 10 top six caliber forwards, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's an embarrassment of riches, but they also suggest that, you know, even the Jets most elite players, um, because all the Jets elite players, or sorry, all the Jets top players have some warts. Um, they don't have like some guy that can do it all. Um, they're kind of missing that elite, elite piece on the top end. Uh, and that's really tough to get um, yeah. through the trade uh, market. You're not, you're not really getting that. And sometimes if you are getting that, you are, uh, you're removing a lot of the depth that is kind of what made the Jets as successful as they have been. So, I mean, that is probably the biggest missing piece. But is that a realistic missing piece? I think realistically, in terms of like actual costs and benefits being compared to each other, um, I mean, a lot of it does depend on whether or not Pionk is um, and how much he is better than the previous season. I lean the fact that he's still a weak link and the easiest thing to improve upon. And um, a lot of like I oft, often see people say like the Jets need a real mean defensive defenseman uh, on the top pair. And I, I personally think that what they actually need is an offense guy on the second pair and to upgrade Pionk. And the reason for that is because analytically speaking, and my personal observations is that the Jets, three Dillons, the three defensive specialists on the team are very, very good and very underrated, all three of them. Um, they're not, you know, offense guys, but they're all really good at doing what they do. Um, and I think DeMello is like severely underrated. Like I've been tracking zone entry denials in terms of like stopping people from taking possession of the puck and bringing into the Jets defenses zone. He is better than I even expected uh, before tracking any of this. Um, like, and you know, so like if you're trying to get a defensive defenseman, it's going to cost you a lot to, to be better than DeMello. And you're not actually going to get that much better than DeMello. But in terms of upgrading Pionk and how much it's going to cost, it's probably going to cost much less and probably be a bigger improvement. And then all of a sudden you have DeMello, or sorry, uh, you have Pionk on the third pairing uh, where he's being a little bit sheltered and hopefully making not just having less minutes, but also probably having better impact relative to ice time. Um, but of course, then uh, that also puts Hinola in the press box, which is, you know, some people might say that maybe he's the solution you know what it's uh these are good problems to have by and large if you're a fan of the winnipeg jets garrett hole author of the five hole Substack. thanks so much for joining us this morning and really uh explaining to our audience and breaking it down for our audience in an easy to understand and digestible manner we'll keep reading the great work you're doing and keep following you as you uh, cover the jets games as well on x throughout the course of the season garrett thanks very much we'll let you out of the uh the the pantry there have a great yeah, rest get, of your saturday back to daddy and garrett <laughs> Yeah, thanks, thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, Garrett. Bye. Cheers.
There he goes. That was great. Great insight from Garrett Hole there this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We go to break. We'll come back talking about that. We'll get you set for tomorrow night's game between the Jets and the Predators. Much more to come. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg. We're live on this Saturday morning. Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years. Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, John Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party. Even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Whoa, Ezzy, everything okay? You look stressed. Of course I'm stressed. We're moving, the house is upside down, the kids failed miserably at packing the fine china, and my life is in chaos. Chaos! Yes, that does sound like a problem. What am I going to do? Ezzy, relax. Rolly's transfer moving and storage is the answer. With 60 years of experience in moving Manitobans and a track record of exemplary customer service, one call to Rollies and your stress is gone. No job is too big or too small. Just visit rollies.com and they will take it from there. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage, online at rollies.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center and they whitened my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go... We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs, from restorative to cosmetic dentistry, and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. Boston Pizza harnessed fanalytics to test if the game is better at home or at Boston Pizza. The results are irrefutable. Catch the game at Boston Pizza. Powered by Fanalytics. So you're a pizza person. You married a wing person. But somehow your kids are salad people. You can't pick your fam, but you can pick your BP meal deal. Starting from $18.99 for takeout or delivery at bostonpizza.com. We did it again. You're on fire, man. There's power in a handshake. After a great game or great deal. It shows professionalism and respect. Two qualities Zapia Group Realty take pride in. You don't build a business where 95% of your clients are referred by others without honesty, integrity, and total dedication to client satisfaction. To sell your home for more in less time, shake hands with Frank and Mauro Zapia of Zapia Group Realty. Get started at zapiagroup.com. Are you dreaming of your very own backyard rink this winter but dreading the work involved? Well, stress no longer because the Rink Guys are here to make it happen. The Rink Guys are Winnipeg's first outdoor skating rink installation and rink maintenance service. The Rink Guys offer free site evaluations and different rink construction options. Plus, they use a custom-sized liner to prevent any damage to your lawn. Lighting packages are also available to help illuminate your rink during those long, dark winter nights. To get your rink started today, visit therinkguys.com. 
Saturday morning. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsburg with you. Reminder, the Jets are next in action tomorrow night, which means tomorrow night there will be an Illegal Curve postgame show. Jets at Predators, 7 p.m. tomorrow night. Postgame show, 9.45 p.m., give or take a couple of minutes. We'll talk more about the Predators coming up at the bottom of the hour. Emma Lingen, the Predators beat writer, is going to be joining us to talk about the Preds, who are off to a... uh, I wouldn't say that they're off to a disappointing start. That wouldn't be fair. They're off to a pretty... uh, you know. Sort of average start is where I think most people would say probably right where you know they're expected. They're nine and ten. They've won four in a row, so they're playing better hockey. They were you know not that long ago they were five and ten until they've gone on this recent hot streak. Um, you know they're scoring a lot of goals. They're scoring more goals than I think people would expect that team to score. No, that's certainly juiced by last night's uh, eight well, goal out. Philip Forsberg has twenty four points. He's well, top ten in the say. league in in scoring. So I, it's like what he was doing two years ago. What did he have like? 80 points last year, something like that. That was his career year. So, I mean, Forsberg has has found the fountain of youth. Yeah, I was going to talk about Philip Forsberg. Yeah, uh, it was 21-22. He had 84 points. So that was his best career. That was his best Drew, only off by four there. I mean, he had had a monster season that year, and so Mm -hmm. did uh, Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne also had good years that that last year, and pardon me, two years ago. And, I mean, the biggest difference between this year and last year is obviously just they don't have the high-end talent that they they once did right and ryan o'reilly's been good don't get me wrong but i mean this is a team that you know depends on guys like luke evangelista who's a rookie and he's i believe second or third in in rookie scoring but like they're expecting offense from guys like gustav gustav nyquist right and tommy novak so i mean the the predators forward depth just can't match up against the jets or the stars or the elite teams. And I think mm-hmm. you mentioned it, Drew, the biggest difference between that we didn't expect with the Predators is they haven't been as good defensively no, as you would expect, right? Like UC Soros, I think we'd all agree, you know, he, he got robbed last year as far as I'm concerned. I thought UC Soros should have won the Vesna, and I think he was fourth. I don't even think he was a finalist. I'd have to go back and check that. Um, but I thought UC Soros was phenomenal last year, and he just he's been good, but he just hasn't been, you know, at that 935 save percentage level. Yeah, you know, you look at the team, though, you look at the Predators, and it's, I mean, this is not a, you know, besides Philip Forsberg, so Philip Forsberg's been terrific this year, no question about that, this has been, he's off to an absolutely scorching start to the season. Sorry, Drew, Soros' save percentage right now is 894, like, those are just un-Soros-like numbers. You're right, Uh, but I mean, I think a lot of that probably has to do with the team that's in front of him, because after Forsberg, who's been terrific, and Ryan O'Reilly, we know is the grizzled veteran who's, uh, you know, very good with intangibles and very good with all the small details but he's not a driver anymore at this point of his career and Gustav Nyquist is a guy who bounces around from you know one year contract to one year contract and who will likely get traded at the trade deadline that seems to be you know uh, his recent career path you look after that and it is not a it is not a who's who of players especially up front and even on the back end I mean, besides Roman Yossi, you got Ryan McDonough, who, again, another grizzled veteran, the guy who the Lightning basically said you have to accept this trade um, to the Predators or we're putting you on waivers and you will not get to pick your next destination because they had their salary cap issues. That's mm-hmm. how he ended up there. And then after Yossi and McDonough, again, there are it's just not a it's not a well necessarily a well-established or well-regarded back end, just like the forward depth is not well-established or that well-regarded. So the Jets should have an advantage on multiple levels against the Predators, but 
The Preds have won four in a row. So you also at the same time can't take that away from them. And that should also keep the Jets sharp because you know that you're playing against an opponent that is feeling good about themselves, that is knocked, uh, you know, prove that is proving to have some metal and some fight. Not metal M E T A L, but metal M E double T L E. There you go. If you want a spelling lesson today on the, on the show, Dave, the we had a math lesson, and now we have a, now we have an English lesson. Way to go! <laughs> you know, it's, what can I say? It's we're we're educating the people here on the on this Saturday morning. Uh, but you know, so that that's you know again where where the Jets are facing tonight or the, tomorrow night a Predators team playing well, but a Predators team that the Jets really top to bottom. I would argue are better than in almost all walks of the of the fa- all facets of the game, at least in the off ice per- perspective, Dave. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, don't don't uh, undervalue the the element of revenge. You know, Barry Trotz revenge. You know, you always got to have that in your <laughs> mind. Spurned lovers, but no, seriously, I mean, this is this is a young ish Nashville team. We've seen a lot of these guys on the Milwaukee Admirals, and and they've graduated to the NHL and we saw what a lot of these players did for Nashville last year when Nashville was a seller you know the Jets were the beneficiary of Nashville being willing to sell giving the Jets Nino Niederreiter for that second round pick and look how good that that deal has looked for Winnipeg and as a as an aside you know when Nino Niederreiter's agent was in Winnipeg last week uh, or the week before whatever it was and I said you know at last after last night's game I said I think it's time to get that extension done sooner rather than later because it's becoming more and more costly as this yeah. guy continues to play. But look, Nashville is a team that's embraced a, a, a somewhat of a youth movement. Obviously, still have Soros and Net, and but they, they do. They have a, like Milwaukee was a very good team last year, and and the Admirals have graduated a number of those guys that you mentioned, Drew, and a lot of those guys. You know, they were allowed to marinate. They were allowed to, you know, Yakov Trenin's another guy who I think of who spent a lot of time with the Milwaukee Admirals before making the jump up to the Nashville Predators. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of the benefit of their system is that they did have that ability to kind of refresh things. And again, sometimes when you're told you're not supposed to win, that's teams kind of do it despite that fact. You know, oh, you're not supposed to be very good. Okay, well, we're still going to go out there and try and win. And, and these guys have a lot of pride and they have a lot of youthful exuberance. So I think, you know, it may catch up with them, especially with the numbers that Soros is putting forth this year. But but overall, you've got a lot of guys who who have you know um, earned their time into the NHL through uh, years of of hard work in the AHL. So uh, it's a it's a good model to model we see here in Winnipeg that's worked, and and it's one that's worked in Nashville as well. Well, yeah, and the reality is, Dave, like the Predators are right behind behind the Jets when it comes to goals for a game, right? Like, yeah, there, there's a it's a very small drop off between the Jets and and the Predators. I think the the Jets are sixth or seventh in the NHL. The Jets sixth. are seventh, and the Predators are tenth. Sixth and sixth. ninth, but that's there close you go. Enough. Yeah, sixth and ninth, right? <laughs> I, obviously, I didn't refresh my browser there, but I mean, like to Dave's point, I mean, look, Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson. I mean, the the Predators didn't replace those guys necessarily. You know, apples for apples. Obviously, Ryan O'Reilly comes in as a centerman, but he's a different type of player. Mm-hmm. And I, I would argue that, you know, the high-end offensive upside of Matt Duchesne is not there with Ryan O'Reilly at this point in his career. O'Reilly's obviously having a good start to the season, Dave, right? He's a point per game or close to a point per game. But, you know, you've got, we talked about Tommy Novak. You got six goals from him. You have six goals from Colton Sissons. You have five goals from uh, Kiefer Sherwood, four goals from Cole Smith, right? Like, so the Philip Forsberg is top 10 in the NHL in scoring right now, but you're getting a lot of goals uh, from from your scoring lines, right? We just went over it. So this is a score by committee team, but 
I mean, they're they're just not as good defensively as they've been. I agree with Drew. Like Roman Yossi, you know, is still a top ten defenseman, maybe top five defenseman in the league offensively. And Ryan McDonough is still a good defensive defenseman. I've always liked uh, Dante Fabro, Tyson Berry. Uh, I don't think he scored a goal yet this year, but Tyson Berry is always a good um, offensive defenseman, right? So the Predators are, are, to me, the definition of kind of middling team, right? Like they're, I agree with Drew. They're exactly they're at 500 right now, essentially, mm-hmm. and that's kind of exactly where we expected them them to be. Um, they're going to have their highs are going to be high and their lows are going to be low, right? So the Jets look. The Jets already beat the Predators a couple weeks back, right at home. So I think there's no doubt that right now where these two teams are, the Jets are uh, a better team. They're a step above the Predators, but the Predators always play well in Nashville. And this is still a t- two teams that don't like each other. I mean, going yeah. back to that 2018 Stanley Cup series in the second round, um, you know, I, I don't expect this to be a, a 7-3 game. I think this is going to be a much tighter game than the game uh, yesterday afternoon between the Preds and Blues. Yeah, well, you know, that's you're right. You know, those are two teams, the Predators and the Blues. When look, when you don't have what I'm going to call the depth, the the sort of the NHL caliber depth, you oftentimes can lose structure and you can lose and you can get into the sort of the 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 free flowing games where uh, where it becomes a little bit of a chaotic experience on the ice. We've seen that from the Jets for so many years that their mm-hmm. games would devolve into chaos, and some and, you know chaos can be entertaining. So don't get don't you know the, don't mistake chaos with 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 boring or anything like that. But it's mm-hmm. not you know it's not how you want to play, and that's where the Jets have been so successful so far this year. Is that by and large the majority of their games have been how they want it to look. I mean, last night right. was a great example. You're playing mm-hmm. against the Florida Panthers team. And it, remember, when the Jets played the Panthers to start the year, that was a Florida Panthers team that was without uh, Ekblad and Montour. Well, both those right. guys are back in the lineup last night. And mm-hmm. Barkov was back in the lineup. I think Sam Bennett night. was in that, in that game either, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right, Ezzy. Sam Bennett, who had his face rearranged yesterday uh, by <laughs> Brendan Dillon. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, know, you know, again, but the Jets... That's why I think last night's game, I mean, and I know you hear the cliche measuring stick or statement game, and I don't necessarily buy into that at game number 18, but it does, you know, this is, you know, the tape from last night's game, and you saw it in the in the dressing room afterwards, you know, that this is how the Jets want to play, and this is how the Jets have played. Mm-hmm. For the most part. So it's not a one-off. It's not a, it's not the exception. Last night wasn't the exception. It's becoming more and more like it's the rule. And, you know, when, when Rick Bonus was addressing the media yesterday morning, I thought, you know, he had some interesting comments saying, you know, there's been some slippage. There has been some, uh, sorry, it was, you're right. I got, I got my, I got my, I, was I, got, like, my, someone I got my, went, I got my Sam's well, wrong. Well, also, I put also, that comment up, Drew. I just wanted to make sure that you were, you knew that you were being thrown under the bus. It's okay. It's fine. Well, it's like, I was like, someone obviously wasn't on the post game show, uh, number 19 of the season, not number you're 18, right. Drew. Sorry. I apologize. My, my, my most sincere apologies. Every now and then I, I make a mistake. It happens rarely. And I know it's off putting. Well, hey, they're both Sam's, it does right? Happen. And they're both kind of smaller forwards. And also it was weird. Dave and I were talking about this. We watched the third period here and Reinhardt is not a guy that you expect to drop the gloves. Bennett, on the other hand, you would expect because <laughs> he's a feisty yeah. player. That's right. why it was weird. Cause Reinhardt's obviously known for more being an offensive guy. 
I got my Sam's confused. Again, my apologies. You can flog well, you do have a son the... named Sam, so as long true. as it wasn't Sam Mandel who was in that fight. No, 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 no. He's he 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 doesn't he doesn't devolve into the fisticuffs just yet. But if you mm-hmm. want to uh, publicly flog me, everybody, you can uh, tar and we just me did. later on in in the town square. Uh, well, well, right, somebody's standing behind me yelling shame the entire time and ringing a bell. Yeah. But uh, I'll throw a cabbage at you. Thank you. You can throw cabbage at me too. That's all. That's all very much accepted. I can. I can take. I mean, my you're going to eat it as I'm throwing it at you. Like you're just going to catch it in your in, in the little, air. That's, but... that's got a little too much vegetable there, Izzy. I'm not sure that you're gonna that I'm going to eat that. But um, I honestly don't know where I was going with this. But I was saying that you know the uh, you know that that's how the Jets want to play, and so they know mm-hmm. that if they go into Nashville tomorrow night and replicate that game they're likely going to win the majority of the games they play this year. And that's just, I mean, there's a confidence that comes with knowing that X will lead to Y. If you want to keep up with the math equations, uh, you know, so far today on the show. Well, and and I think it's, I think I'm going to use a word here. It's consistency. And and that's what Mm -hmm. you're seeing that consistency across the board and, and the jets are playing and Scott O'Neill has talked about it. Rick bonus has talked about it. I mean, if you're not cheating the game, and if you're playing the game properly defensively, which this team seems to be doing more often than not, you're going to possess the puck more often than not, and you will result. It will result in good scoring chances, which you'll convert more often than not. And if you keep doing those things, you're going to win. I won't say more often than not, but you're going to win those games. And that's what Winnipeg is doing. And it's and it's really hard to to mess with what has worked so well, right? Like it's hard for any player to justify not following the structure. How could you not? You're 11, two and two in your last 15 games. You have two losses in November. I mean, this might be the best November in the history of Manitoba. There's no snow on the ground. We were like, <laughs> we were like plus 10 almost for, for part of the, the month. And the Jets have two losses. So uh, I suppose Bombers did lose in the Great Cup, though. So that's screwed it that's up. That's true, a bit. but this is not a legal procedure, Ezzy. This is a legal curve hockey. So we're focused on the hockey. It's illegal something. Things. It's exactly. So I, I just think that right now, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And and it's hard for these guys to to go away from that. Hellebuck has resolved whatever issues he had. And look, like we were, I, you know, it's interesting. I've been reading different articles, obviously, for the little site called LegalCurve.com. And and one of the things that you you would think that Connor Hellebuck is ha- having to adjust to is facing less shots, right? I mean, he it gets maybe ten less shots a game. You know, thirty was was kind of like almost upper limit. Now, previously, it was like forty five to fifty. Right. So, you know, in those games that he was like controlling. So I, you know, again, his numbers are always going to look worse if he's not facing as much shots and he's letting those, those goals in, but he, you could see that he has worked on his game. He's got it. He felt it was good already, but now he's kind of tweaked it and he's in the mode. He's in the mode. The team's in the mode. So it, it, to me, it's a function of like, if you just, there's no reason to change what you're doing. It's kind of like, like anything, right? If you have found a, a winning formula, you stick with it. You don't change it just for the sake of being able to say, "Well, I changed it because you know it was boring." All all that winning was boring. You keep you keep doing what you were doing in order to keep winning. And so I, I suspect the Jets is what that's what you'll see because again, all of these players, especially the guys like Shifley and Hellebuck, now that they have their contracts, you know, it, like I like Ezzy and I talked about uh, and you drew uh, the other day with, with respect to Mark Shifley. You're going to see a different sort of buy-in, a different sort of mentality, because now these guys aren't worried about trying to secure a contract. They're worried about trying to secure a Stanley Cup. And that is the focus of those guys, a lot of the guys who are starting signed to long-term deals. And again, like I said, I think overall, that's what the focus of this team is now pivoted to, as opposed to the individual. 
Well said, Dave. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, Connor Hellebuck and his numbers, you know, again, the goal saves above ex expected, which is where we're always used to seeing Connor Hellebuck towards the top of the NHL, has not been, uh, it was not there to start the year. But look, lo and behold, the last four games, you know, where Connor, and then including last night's shutout, all of a sudden he's back to, I think he's either 10th or 11th in the NHL, and you know he's only going to get higher in that list, but it's also way easier for him. The games have been way easier for Connor Hellebuck, uh, as he, and you know how refreshed that is going to make him and how, you know, uh, you know and, and that stress, you know, making the regular season a lot easier for him should sure. pay dividends come playoff right. time. And for Kyle, Dave M. is related to the owner of Manuk Denture Clinic, but he does not own uh, the denture clinics for, for Kyle, for those who, uh, are listening on, on the podcast. You're right. And that's why guys, you brought, brought in a Lauren Brassois to take some of that load off of Connor Hellebuck. Yeah, you're, you're, you guys are right. I mean, Hellebuck is, you know, I would say over his last four or five, six starts has looked more like the Hellebuck that we expected from previous years, as opposed to, you know, he was fighting the puck a little bit earlier in the season. Let's be honest, but I think Brassois can give you more starts than David Riddick could give you, for example, last year. So, I mean, regardless if you play, you know, Brassois today, uh, pardon me, tomorrow against Nashville, or you play him on Tuesday versus Dallas, I think we all expect, you know, the Jets are probably going to want Hellebuck to go uh, up against Jake Ottinger unless the Stars have a back-to-back -back situation. Then you might see Scott Wedgwood. And, and that's the thing, going back to the Dallas Stars, right? Like, they beat the Jets with Scott Wedgwood in that, not Jake Ottinger in that, who's, speaking of goal save above expected, he's right up there, right? So, um, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, Hellebuck... I said this on last night's post-game show, boys. If Hellebuck is playing the way he's been playing, you know, against Tampa Bay, against Florida, um, you know, on the five-game homestand, the Jets can beat anybody if he's mm -hmm. playing at that elite, elite level, right? Like, we talked about the save he made on Evan Rodriguez. He made that look easy. So um, there's no doubt that, you know, everything – the Jets are just a well-balanced team right now. And, you know, the goaltending has been excellent. They're getting production from all scoring lines. And, you know, the defenses look much better, even though it's the same top six as last year. When we come back, we'll talk about the Nashville Predators ahead of the Jets' visit to Nashville. Emma Lingen, the Predators' senior content manager and beat reporter, is going to join us on the show coming up momentarily. It's a Saturday morning. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg with you. Stay with us. We're live on our YouTube and channel and all of our social media platforms. Saturday morning. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg. We're thrilled to welcome to the program and thank her for waiting patiently as we run through our ads, Emma Lingen joins us on the program. Emma is the Predators Senior Content Manager and Beat Reporter. Emma, welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Obviously brought you on to talk about the Jets Central Division rival. Jets and Predators do battle tomorrow night in Nashville on Broadway. Emma, the Predators playing much better hockey as of late. Four wins in a row, including a uh, thorough shellacking. I believe when you win by that margin, it's considered a shellacking of the uh, St. Louis Blues last night. You know, why the success for the Predators as of late, the four in a row? This is a team that, uh, you know, not that long ago was struggling at five and ten, and they're beginning to crawl their way closer to the 500 mark as a result. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you mentioned, four in a row, and then prior to winning four in a row, they had lost four in a row, uh, including the loss to Winnipeg um, at the end of their two-week road trip. So, uh, definitely kind of a, a tale of two teams almost, but I think, you know, there, there are a few reasons that this team is starting to have some more success now. 
number one is, you know, keeping in mind it's a new system under a new head coach, new general manager, but especially the the new head coach this season and Andrew Brunette, it's a very different offensive system that he's requiring of these guys. It's very fast, high octane, you know, it, it takes some, some getting used to, I think. So that was, that was a big part of it. This team just learning this new system. But then on top of that, you also have kind of an interesting mix of, of players throughout the lineup. You've got, the, you know, the Philip Forsbergs, the Roman Yossi's, the Ryan O'Reilly's kind of the proven veteran players. But then you also have a really solid young core of players that came up at the end of last year in the light of, you know, a lot of key veterans getting traded, a lot of guys getting hurt. There was, you know, sort of they came up, those young guys came up to sort of, you know, as a stopgap, but ended up being really, really solid. And helping this team get really very close to a playoff spot last year. So I think there's, you know, there's finally this kind of cohesion where these, you know, these two play or these two types of players are starting to kind of understand each other and get, get comfortable playing with each other. And, you know, Andrew Burnett has said it a lot that there's going to be growing pains when it comes to a, a new system and a new team and a new coaching staff, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think you're, you're kind of finally starting to see things clicking for them. So it's, you know, I think, I think the game against Winnipeg tomorrow will be a really good test for this team to see if they really have, you know, improved overall as much as it appears that they have since the last time they played this team. And Amber, you mentioned, you know, some of those young players and I follow you on Twitter and you tweeted this out yesterday. Uh, Luke Evangelista had three points versus the St. Louis Blues and he's now uh, he's second, I believe. No, check the tweet here. Yeah, see, he's second among NHL rookies behind the Coyotes, uh, Logan Cooley. And you mentioned I actually had to do a double take because I forgot that he was still a rookie. He played 24 games last year. So he if he would have played uh, the one more game, he wouldn't have been. Uh, a rookie anymore right so you know good on Luke Evangelista for still being a rookie this year but you know second round pick from 2020 uh, he's playing on that second line I believe still um, with Kiefer Sherwood uh, and is it Yuso Parsonen I had to do a double check there on daily faceoff I believe that's his line right uh, Kiefer Sherwood, yes. Yuso Parsonen, as of two games ago, yes. Um, okay, that, yeah, so that... it might be a little bit outdated, but the point is he's <laughs> playing in the top six, and, uh, you know, he's having a good start to the season. We mentioned second among rookies, three goals, 12 points in, in 18 games, and I guess, you know, you watch the Predators uh, on a daily basis, of course, and is that not surprising to the Preds coaching staff and most Preds fans, just considering how good Evangelista was last year in 24 games of action? Well, I think, you know, I would say it's not necessarily surprising. Uh, as you mentioned, he was highly successful last year. But I think maybe the biggest concern, or not even concern, really more question about Evangelista after last year was, yes, obviously through 24 games, fantastic. But that was his first taste of the NHL. Can he maintain that level of productivity for a full 82-game season? I think that was the biggest question. And even coming into training camp this year, he was definitely viewed, I would say, internally as well as externally as a bubble guy who may or may not even make the team out of camp. And I think he, you know, he had a really solid camp, didn't have his best showing, I think, at the the rookie showcase this summer, but then came in and, you know, had a really, really solid training camp 
earn his spot on the team. You know, he was playing really well in the first part of the season. I think he was maybe three or four games ago, uh, Andrew Brunette decided to healthy scratch him, which, uh, of course, everyone on Pred's Twitter had a very uh, healthy and normal reaction to. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think the, uh, the, the strategy there, and you've seen it, he's done it already this year. He did it with Yuso Parsonen. He did it with Yakov Trenin. He did it with Philip Tomasino. Guys who he deemed were not playing up to the standard that he had set for them he would healthy scratch him for a game. And in every single case, maybe Parse didn't have his best game yesterday, but that aside, I think in all of those cases, those guys have come back from that scratch and played so much better and played up to that standard. And now you're seeing that with Evangelista. And what what Bruno said, you know, with regards to Evangelista specifically, being a younger guy, you know, he started to see he was maybe kind of starting to slide a little bit. He was getting overpowered a lot. He's, you know, playing on the on the top six. You're playing against other teams' top six talent as a as a rookie, and that can be a lot sometimes. And it just seemed like he was not skating to his best ability. He was getting overpowered a little bit. I think, you know, the the thought was, especially for a young guy, is let's nip this in the bud now and not let him continue to slide for 10, 15 more games because at that point it might be too late um, and it can really mess with a young guy's confidence. So scratch him for one game now, bring him back, and we've been seeing the the results of that. Like you said, three points yesterday, two goals and an assist. Um, I, t- I talked to him after the game. I said, are you aware that the, the last time the Preds scored seven or more goals, you also scored uh, twice in that game? It was in Buffalo last year. And he said, well, I didn't know that. I should probably do that more often. So um, he's, definitely he's getting some more confidence, and it's really good to see. You know, Emma, we don't just cover the Jets here. We also cover the AHL club, the Moose. And if there's one team that we're very familiar here with is the Milwaukee Admirals, having seen them 12 times in the regular season last year, five times in the playoffs. So we can attest to the fact that this Nashville Predators lineup is riddled with guys who played on that Milwaukee Admirals uh, team last season. And to me, and the question I have for you is, are you seeing the benefit from a Nashville perspective of all of those guys having an opportunity to grow together in the AHL and then not get called up piecemeal, but almost en masse and get a chance to really make an impact and make it a little bit easier for them to do so because there's less pressure because there's a, you know, again, there's a lot of them and they're all familiar with each other. Yeah, I'd say that's certainly part of it. You know, I, I think, I won't go so far as to say that was the plan to call them all up on mass mm-hmm. because it certainly wasn't. Uh, like I said, it was the result of injuries and trades and pretty much anything that could have happened to the Preds last year did happen. Um, so it was kind of the result of, of a lot of that. But, you know, I think it it is. They've all, like you said, developed together. They've played together uh, under Carl Taylor and his staff in Milwaukee. They've, you know, which is been immensely helpful to them but I think the other thing that has been helpful is that a lot of those guys you had Evangelista um, you had Tomasino Igor Afanasyev all those you know those kind of those young forwards who came up for a little bit last year and then some veteran guys too so like Sherwood Michael McCarron Mark Jankowski all came up and played at some point for the Preds last year 
and then went back to Milwaukee uh, to help them with their playoff runs. So a lot of those guys, the younger ones, the evangelistas and whatnot, have now had some very valuable playoff, you know, postseason experience, albeit in the AHL. But I think that that's hugely helpful when it comes to, you know, not as much skill development because that's already there. It's more about like learning how to win games and winning important games. And I think that that's been really helpful experience for them. Emma Lingen is our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show this Saturday morning talking about the Nashville Predators ahead of the Jets and the Preds tomorrow evening in Music City, USA. Emma, we're used to seeing sort of the Nashville Predators as more of a tight-checking, defensive-minded team, whereas this year it's not the case. They're top 10 in the NHL, ninth overall in goals for, middle of the pack in goals against. Is that a function of both maybe Andrew Brunette, you know, you mentioned he's playing sort of a more aggressive, up-tempo style. Is that sort of him evaluating the players that he has and maybe saying, you know, this team isn't built to be a defensive team first and foremost. So we're going to have to lean into more of the offensive side of the game. Cause you look at the back end for the predators. And I mean, we know Roman Yossi is still all world. And then after that, Ryan McDonough has a very good pedigree from his time in, 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 uh, in Tampa Bay, particularly in all every stop he's had in the NHL, but it's not necessarily a, a who's who of defensive responsibility on the back end, especially a guy like Tyson Berry, who is more known for being an offensive style defenseman. So is that Andrew Brunette sort of tailoring the approach for the players that he has available to him? I would say to a degree. I think if you if you watch Andrew Brunette and any of the teams that he has coached, that it that's the style he's going to play regardless. And I think if you don't fit the style or the system, then you're probably not going to be very successful. And so I think that he, you know, his, his big thing obviously is offense, offense, offense. He wants to have the puck. That is his biggest, biggest thing is puck possession and, you know, being on top of the puck and not constantly defending, which is what you saw a lot of the predators of last year under John Hines, very tough, very defensive minded team. Now you're still seeing a little bit of that this year. You've got, guys, you know, the big forwards, um, you know, the big kind of more bottom six guys like a Yakov Trenin, a Cole Smith, uh, who are big, heavy hitting guys. And they, you know, can play that defensive role very well. But then at the same time, both of those guys, you're already starting to see some more offensive production from them. Um, More of what they're not just pigeonholed into that one role of just hitting guys and being big and being defensive forwards. So I think you're, you're starting to see kind of the 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 confidence of those guys who maybe had been pigeonholed in that sort of like strictly defensive offense role um and now they're starting to really kind of mesh together and and really start to produce offense and then you mentioned on the back end funny enough yesterday uh as you mentioned the shellacking in St. Louis <laughs> um it was a 8 so the Preds scored eight goals. They had 14 different guys on the score sheet and Roman Yossi did not have a point. And that was shocking. Like That's I feel like bizarre. that never happened. Yeah. That was so bizarre. And um, we, we were talking about it on the bus afterwards. I had to double check. I was like, really? Um, <laughs> but, you know, not to say that Yossi is not producing or contributing in other ways because he certainly is. He's usually one of, if not our top, you know, the top of the team in shots every game you know he's definitely creating chances but he you know 
at points last year, it seemed like, especially once Philip Forsberg got hurt, it was like Roman Yossi is our offense, which is a little scary considering he's a defenseman. Um, but, you know, I think now you're starting to to see a little bit more of these guys starting to show off their offensive abilities that maybe they had kind of been, you know, I don't know if it was told not to or coached not to or, you know, kind of been preached to that this is this is your role to be a big guy and just to hit people and, you know, not create offense. And I think now under Brunette's system, we're seeing that there are guys who can do both. So to answer your original question, I don't think that it's necessarily tailoring it to the players you have available. I think it is looking at the strengths and we're not going to take a Yakov Trenin, for example, and say, okay, you need to go score 40 goals this year because that's obviously that's not his game. But I think it's like, okay, you can do a little bit more than just hit people though. You know, you can create offense and you can, you know, he's doing things, he's killing penalties and he's, he's now had, I think three goals in his last four games. And so I think you're, you're starting to see that, you know, he is, Andrew Burnett is getting to know his players a little bit more and what they're capable of. Emma, we have to ask you about uh, David Poyle's pregame ceremony on on Wednesday. The Predators played the Flames, and I didn't watch the game live, but I caught highlights, and his family was there, and I saw uh, Craig Conroy, the Flames general manager, who obviously played many years for the Flames. He presented him with a plaque, um, and they announced that he was going to be the first inductee. I believe it was called the uh, Golden Hall, if I'm not mistaken, the Preds Golden Hall, and I think they also mentioned that he's going to be um, administering or he's going to be the gatekeeper uh, of the Preds Golden Hall but obviously like you know none of us know David Poyle personally but everybody in hockey uh, knows who David Poyle is right like the longtime general manager of the Predators um, and obviously because Barry Trotz is from Manitoba we've followed the Predators in addition to the Jets and the Predators being in the, the same division but just um, you know how special was that to be a part of and also wanted to ask you how how involved is David Poyle with the team like has he kind of step back and he's not really involved at all or is he involved like you know on the day-to-day or obviously his presence looms large uh, in the city of Nashville with the Predators organization yeah you know I consider myself very very fortunate even though we only overlapped for you know one season last season was my first with with Nashville so I was fortunate to be able to work pretty closely with David uh, for for the last year of his of his general manager career, but um, you know I think so. There's you know not enough time to to talk about what David has meant not only to the NHL but to hockey to the city of Nashville. I mean, people never would have thought that you know Nashville, Tennessee, would be able to to have a hockey team and you know be successful there. And and he he's the architect of that. He's the reason that it happened. And you know I think. He last year, it was it was a little bit, I would say, interesting during the the second half of the year. You know, he had announced that he was retiring. Barry was here. Barry was coming on the road with us and Barry was very much around. And so it was almost like we had the two general managers at the same time. But it was really more, you know, it was still David's team. Barry was just there to kind of shadow everything. And now, you know, that that's one thing that I have to give David a lot of credit, you know, after 25 years in that role, he really has stepped aside and allowed it to be Barry's team. And, you know, he is definitely still around. He's present. I see him at the office quite a bit. 
Um, you know, I think old habits die hard. So I, I don't know that he'd be able to completely just cold turkey retire and, and never come back. But I think, um, you know, he when it comes to the big decisions and, and the day-to-day stuff, you know, I think he he's involved in the sense that he likes to be kept up to date about what's going on with this team that he built, you know, from, from the ground up. And, but I think when it comes to the actual decision-making, you know, it's, it's very clear that this is Barry's team now. And, um, you know, a lot of Barry, Barry is a little, you know, he's different than David. I think he's got some David in him. I think he's got some Lou Lamorello in him. I think he's, you know, he's got, kind of a, a nice combination of, you know, maybe a lot of different styles of general managers that he has worked for. Um, but you're definitely seeing, you know, some of the things that were important to David uh, is, you know, taking care of your people, um, whether that's people who are on the ice or the behind the scenes people um, like myself, for example, I think it's, you know, Barry is very careful to, you know, he really wants to get to know people and he wants to, you know, know them as people. And I think that that makes the organization so great to work for. Um, but at the same time, he also, he expects a lot of his team. He expects a lot of his players. And I think that, you know, you're kind of seeing, um, like I said, maybe a, a David and Lou kind of hybrid right now. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's been, it's been really great uh, for, for the organization as a whole. You know, Emma, we're a, uh... Winnipeg based show. So we're contractually obligated to ask about Winnipeg players whenever we speak to someone who covers a team oh, no. that has someone like that. So can ask about Cody Glass, of course, mm-hmm. 14 goals last season. He's got none this year. He's only played nine games. Obviously, he had some issues. So what can you tell us about Cody Glass this season so far uh, for the Predators? Well, unfortunately, uh, for for us and for Cody, especially, he is now back on IR uh, with a with a upper body injury. I think that, you know, unfortunately, we're starting to see kind of shades of his early career uh, of when he had a lot of injury issues. Granted, then it was more lower body. Um, but now I think, you know, Cody is such a strong-willed he's such a positive guy and he is so he works harder than almost anyone I've ever met and he you know we saw that last year that he was really kind of a a breakout season for him and he you know again it didn't start that way he did not have the best start to his season he was a kind of a perennial healthy scratch actually for the first part of the season last year and then you know came in worked his way up the lineup ended up you know being a top six center especially you know, by, by the end of last year with him being only what, 23 years old, he was like one of the veterans at that point, because (laughs) they had so many actual veterans who had gone down with injury or been traded. And so, you know, you really saw him develop a lot as a, as a player and as a person last year, you really hate to see it for him this year. Um, It was funny when he did not end up making the, the two week trip with us that ended in, in Winnipeg, because that was, a re-aggravation of his lower body injury that he had had. And so I think, you know, it was, it was weird. I was actually talking to him while we were in Winnipeg. I said, this is the first time I've been at Canada Life Center and not had to interview your dad before a game. I'm like sitting around, I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> this is weird. Um, it just, it didn't feel right. So I think, you know, 
obviously he's he's out he's week to week now with that upper body injury um you know it's unfortunate you mentioned Luke Evangelista earlier on the line with with Kiefer Sherwood and it's been kind of a a rotating cast at that center spot it it was Tommy Novak he went down then it was Cody Glass he went down and now it's you know we were starting to say like is that a cursed position like does that mean Parson is going to go down soon too but um you know I think he he is just such a hard worker and there's, you know, he's, he's such a good, um, you know, like good guy to have around the team too. And I think that, you know, no one is more upset than he is right now that he's not playing. Um, But, you know, the hope is that he'll continue to rehab and, and, you know, be back before the end of the season. Emma Lingan is the Predators senior content manager and beat reporter, the Jets and the Preds tomorrow night in Nashville. Emma will have it covered online through thoroughly as she always does. Emma, thanks so much for joining us this morning on the program. Appreciate your time and your insight. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Emma. Emma. Thanks so much. There goes Emma. We got a couple minutes left on this morning's edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We remind you of a couple things. Great interview. Go ahead, Drew. Yeah, we remind you of a couple things. The post-game show is tomorrow. That's going to be at 9.45 tomorrow night after the Jets and the Predators. We also remind you, coming up in a couple weeks' time, Thursday night, December 7th, Legal Curve Live on location. We're going to be at Boston Pizza on Taylor Avenue. Come celebrate the holiday season with Illegal Curve. We're going to be there for the Jets and the Avalanche. There's going to be drink specials. There's going to be food specials. There's going to be Illegal Curve-related specials. And then, of course, the live edition of the Illegal Curve post-game show after the Jets and the Colorado Avalanche. You want to see everybody there because this is the first game between the Jets and the Avalanche this year. That's right. That's why we so did that So it's kind of crazy but <laughs> that will the be first a- game of the year is December 7th. But So it's going to be a big one. I mean, like you, you joked earlier, Drew, about you know calling the Jets lightning a measuring stick game or calling the Jets Panthers a measuring stick game. But, I mean, regardless, these are just two of the best teams in the West going yep. at each other. Uh, so, yeah, we want to see everybody. Everybody who's in, in the chat right now, everybody who's watching live on YouTube, we expect to see each and every one of you. There's 282 people watching live right now, so I want to see all of you. There you go. As he's demanding attention, even the people who live out of town, even though you got to fly yeah. in Thursday, yeah. December seventh. Jordan live. lives in Australia. Get on a flight. You have time. You have two weeks to get here. We're live at Boston Pizza on Taylor Avenue on Thursday, December seventh. The Jets playing well. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said of the AHL team. Put on your antlers. It's time for the Manuk Moose Minute on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Dave M, sum up the problems for the Manitoba Moose, because it's not that they're just losing. They're getting, as I, I'll use the word again. Shellacked. Shellacked. I was going to say, what the hell am I supposed to talk to? I did a Manuk Moose Minute last night. I know. Let me tell you. Is, is it goaltending? I mean, is it strictly goaltending? I mean, no, I mean, it, no, it's it's collective team play. I mean, the goaltending hasn't been good. Colin Delia has played the last few games. Oscar Salmonen is in witness to protection right now. He yeah. hasn't played in a long time. Thomas Millich is doing well, but he's in the ECHL. Uh, he played four games up with the Moose, two in relief, two as a starter. Uh, the defense. Mil- Sorry, let me just interrupt you for a quick second. Did they send Milich back so that he doesn't have to be sort of in, 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 in you know in the firing line that the Moose seem to be you know sub- subjecting their goalies to lately? 
Um, I mean, I don't know. I think that the, I think the plan, to be honest with you, all the t- all along was to have the two veteran goaltenders who I would have expected, you know, a better uh, result. To be honest, well, with you. I was going to uh, say Dave Millich is twenty years old. I mean, he was playing in the WHL last right. year, so I think we we can't forget that he's still a young. He was drafted as an overager, but we can't yeah. forget that he's a, a he's twenty years old. He's young, so I don't think the plan was ever Dave to have Millich play thirty games for the Moose or anything like that. No, I don't think so either. And and it's funny because someone you know I said uh, Thomas Millich because he picked up his second pro shutout. He got a shutout for the Norfolk Admirals, his second one uh, in his first game back. I think he made twenty eight saves. And then someone, uh, you know, I said, oh, you know, he had a good start, blah, blah, blah. He's 5-0-1 with Norfolk. And someone was like, "Is are they already ruining another, you know, goaltending prospect? And I'm like, well, no. Guys play in the ECHL. And I looked, and it was like, you know, guys who have won the Stanley Cup, Tim Thomas, Jonathan Quick, uh, uh, Braden Holtby. There's Quick's been, a number been phenomenal of guys. this year for the Rangers, as an aside. No, I know. Yeah. I know. Well, Connecticut guy. He was happy to put on the Rangers uniform. Probably grew up, you know, rowing, cheering for the Rangers. But the point is that, you, you know, there's no rush. He's played seven, ga- five or six games in the ECHL. Like yeah, I just said, quickly, Milich is not uh, eligible for the World Juniors. No. Who's asking? No, no, it's no. An, it's an under-20 tournament, yeah. and Milich is 20. Yeah, no, no. He's not eligible. But but the point is, yeah, like, but as you hit it on the head. I mean, the kid was in the WHL last year. He was the WHL goalie of the year. But the fact of the matter is there's a long runway. And guys, remember, it's not a bad thing. I mean, everybody wants to accelerate everybody's growth. But you've got Connor Hellebuck signed for seven more years. <laughs> you don't need Thomas Millich advancing. Remember, he's only on an AHL deal right now with the Moose. He doesn't have an NHL contract. So the fact is you're, you're not really needing to expedite Millich's development. So let him develop in the e- ECHL. And as I said, I just listed up. Thomas Vokun played... I think 35 games in the in the AHL in the ECHL went on to play 700 games in the NHL. So the fact of the matter is, yeah, like like Tikona Pauli is saying, and we'll, I'll say it for the benefit of the folks listening on the podcast: you play in the ECHL for the shot volume and workload, and that's what the Jets organization wants. And and ultimately, I think, especially because you got to remember, they have a young group with the Moose that I don't think they want to have a young goaltender as well. And they probably the hope was. That the that this you know having more veteran guys like Colin Delia and Oscar Salmonen would be a steadying force for a young earth. I mean, they were already young last year. They're younger this year, younger forward and defensive group. And they don't have nearly as talented a defensive group. They'll get a boost when Billy Hinola is ready to resume and put him on a, a stint. And they obviously don't need him to clear through waivers, so he'll be fine. Obviously, they'll get something back. As Gabe Velarde comes back, they'll get Dominic Tonnato, Axel Janssen Fielbe. So the fact is, they'll get a boost from those guys. And, and again, they'll, they'll lose Declan Chisholm because his conditioning assignment ends on Sunday. He's been with the Moose for two weeks. So, well, that's something have re- we haven't really talked about. Once Vili Hainola is healthy, uh, what do you do with that logjam on? Well, Hainola, right? you're not going to, you're not necessarily going to keep both Chisholm uh, and Stanley up with the Jets. I mean, they obviously could. Uh, they could there's, say- there's there's something something to be said there with when Halo comes back and what what you do with those defensemen. So quickly, I'll say because I know we got to go, but but just quickly, what they'll do is they'll put Halo. My guess is, and this is my guess because it just doesn't make any sense. Halo will Hainola. start off with the Moose for sure. You've got to start him with it yeah, for at least a three three weeks to a month, maybe even of of Hainola down with the Moose to really get his conditioning up and get him maximized. Maybe not a month, but a long time. Couple of, of weeks of playing, yeah. yeah, a lot of time playing games because also we don't know the stretch, right? We don't know exactly when he'll be back. It could be a stretch of time when the Moose don't have a ton of games, so you got to pay attention to that thing. But the point is. And and look, ultimately, you could ask you know Logan Stanley to to go on a conditioning assignment and play two weeks for the Moose. I'm not saying it's he has to agree, of course, but it's not unheard of to have a guy go down 
and play there. It alleviates the problem. But Heinola, as soon as he comes back and he's ready to come back, he'll go to the moose. So that'll alleviate that issue. And Heinola is waiver exempt. Yeah. yeah, he is. So that's not an issue. That's a, that's an unfortunate thing for him, but it's a benefit for the organization because it allows them to punt the decision down the road. And then when Heinola is ready to return, you'll see what you have to do. But but yeah, I mean, for for now, you've got Chisholm back as of Sunday. He'll play the last game with the Moose, uh, which means he played. He would have played eight games. He was ill for the game on um, Wednesday night, I believe. So he he will have played if he plays tomorrow, which I presume he will, he'll play seven of the eight games. So it's good for him. Got his conditioning up. There you go. There's the Moose uh, recap from Dave Ooh. M. Lots to talk about, Triple of course, MVP. and we'll do it again more tomorrow night after the Jets and the Nashville Predators with the Illegal Curve post And the Moose show. and the Griffins. And the Moose and the Griffins. So 9.45 or so tomorrow night. Be sure to be back here and join us. In the meantime, everything is available on IllegalCurve.com. That's your source for all your latest Winnipeg Jets news and Manitoba Moose news and audio. Big thanks to all of our sponsors, Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club, Linden Market Dental Center, Zapia Group Realty, Betway, Tough Duck, Boston Pizza, Seagram's, Rolly's Transfer, and of course, Farmery Beer, number two, Donald Street. Get your beer and tip a few back safely and responsibly while enjoying your weekend activities. Support I have to restock, fine- Drew. I've only got one left in my fridge. I I bought a, a 12 pack of Farmery Beer and well, get going. it was a couple of weeks back. So I got to go pick up some more. It's the weekend. Yeah, Party exactly. time, Drew. Go get going. No, don't wait on my account. Go do that right now after the show wraps up. Big thanks to everyone for joining us. Big thanks to Garrett Hole. Big thanks to Emma Lingen for joining us in case you missed it. Instant replay available on the YouTube channel and podcast soon to come via the magical work of Mr. Manuk. Thanks to everyone for joining us. We'll see you again tomorrow night, 9.45. Until then, be safe. Be be responsible with whatever you do, illegalcurve.com. If it's Saturday, it's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Thanks for listening to this broadcast from Illegal Curve Hockey. For more great Illegal Curve content, subscribe to the Illegal Curve YouTube channel, follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, illegalcurve.com.